Oh, wow. Okay, gentlemen. The, the room's dark, so it's okay if you're wiping your eyes. Oh, no, they turned on the lights. What is this salty discharge? Welcome to my church, and happy Father's Day again. I would like to uh, introduce uh, to you guys our, what we're doing today is we're doing kind of a uh, discussion panel talking about dad stuff with myself. My name's Richard. This is Ed Griffinhagen. And uh, I don't know if I just stole your lines because you were going to introduce that. But anyway, this young man right over here, his name is Will Griffinhagen. And yeah, they're related. Will is, uh, Will Will has been a part of uh, my church as long as his family has, has spent uh, probably the better part of seven plus years playing on our worship team. He's an excellent guitarist and... uh, a student at the University of Georgia. This is your moment, dog pants. Whoa. That was that was pretty weak, but we'll move on. But anyway, Will is here. And Will is kind of like the facilitator of our discussion today. He's, he's dressed for the part. His hair is sublime. And I, ladies and gentlemen, Will Griffinhagen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. Um, So... Obviously, we know that we are all, as human beings, we are all full of tons and tons of flaws. And we, all, we also know that we're all here for a purpose. Um, at least if you're a believer, you know that you, God gave you a purpose for existence, and you, you have a role to fulfill. And both of these men here, um, my dad and Richard both, they were given a lot of different roles, but the one most important role that I think that God gave to both of them each, was the role of raising a child, the role of fatherhood. Um, the, the goal of raising a kid is somewhat to make a better father than yourself. Um, it's a generational thing, and if we can do that, then every generation is going to get better and better, and every kid over time will, in turn, just be a more loving, compassionate Christian and uh, be, a perf- be a better example of a father um, that's closer to the one perfect example of a father that we have, that's Jesus Christ. And uh, I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously, like I said, we're all flawed, we make mistakes, um, but it's, it's kind of funny, the Greek word for sin comes from archery. Um, it's not, when, when we think of sinning, we think of doing something wrong or doing something bad that we know is wrong or that we know is bad. But the Greek word for sin that comes from archery is equivalent to shooting an arrow and just missing the bullseye. You're still shooting the arrow, aiming for the bullseye, but you're just a little off. So you're still aiming at doing good, but you just might have done it in the incorrect way. Uh, feeding your family's perfectly good, um, but if you've got to rob someone to feed your family, that might not be the correct way to do that. You might be missing the mark a little bit. So, so as a father, um, I wanted to ask you, Richard, when, when was the time that you might have been aiming for that bullseye, but you, you just you missed the mark, you were off a little bit? Well, I consider myself an expert at missing the mark <laughs> because I've done it so much. Before I answer that question, I need to brag on my kids. And I really feel bad for you guys because my kids are cooler than yours, and it's awkward. You know, it's hard to talk about, but... Uh, seriously, my, I have three kids. They are awesome, too. Very awesome. My daughter uh, graduated, uh, Carly, she graduated Liberty University last year. She lives here in Columbus. And my two sons, Derek and Bryce, uh, live in Lynchburg, Virginia, and are s- both students at Liberty University. And uh, about uh, seven years ago, um, our family went through a, a trauma, seven and eight years ago. And when you talk about missing the mark or the flaws or the shortcomings as a father, I always think of that big thing that happened in our family. And that's, uh, that's as I said, 70 years ago, I went through a divorce. And uh, when I div- divorced my, my children's mother, uh, I put our family in a really, really bad situation. And the divorce itself, if you know my story, we don't have time to go over it again today, but uh, the, the, the divorce was on me. It was my fault. And I it was my issues that led to that and all the little missings of the marks over the years is um is what led to that happening 
And uh, so I became the guy that uh, drove our family, metaphorically speaking, into the ditch. And it was just, uh, it was a very dark and disappointing time in my life of what I was putting my children through. And so I believe all, all dads, all moms and dads, we, we live with this uh, fear in the uh, background of our lives and sometimes in the foreground in this fear is what, w- what if my mistakes uh, impact my kids' lives in a really, really bad way. And so there's, th- there's that pressure that's almost always there. And that's just part of it for us as parents. And if there is an obvious failure like I put on my family all those years ago, that's what I automatically think of. And it has been my experience over time to see that even with the worst of my failures, that God could take my family and not only just help us get through it, but actually help us to grow and thrive. It's, a, it's really miraculous things can happen. But it's interesting when, you th- when I think about flaws, I also consider kind of the ongoing day-to-day, month-in, month-out stuff of dadding. Is that a word, dadding? So it, it's, it's the, it, here's the way I, I assess it. There are all kind of different types of dads. You know, you could label, your, your, you've got the stern dad, the lenient dad. You've got the cool dad like Ed. You've got the not-so-cool dad like myself. You've got the adventurous dad and the boring dad. You have the bad joke dad. Anybody a bad joke dad in the house? Speaking of which, what is Forrest Gump's Wi-Fi password? One, Forrest, one. It didn't work in the first service either. Man. So that's my bad dad joke moment of of the day. But So we have all these things. And whatever dad you might happen to be, and for me, I'm like, and this is kind of weird, I'm like a sentimental dad. I'm like a memory-making dad. I'm always trying to keep everybody encouraged and happy dad. And I always always felt weird about that, like I was strange. And, And I am. But it just made me think, less of myself and here's why because whatever dad kind of dad or parent you are that's going to set you up to be really good at some things but it is also going to make some things super difficult and my tendency was to whatever my flaws and my shortcomings were or or big failures what have you but even the smaller shortcomings whatever made me insecure about myself as a dad I would like to hide or ignore or overcompensate for that and that's not really healthy, and that didn't help me in my life as a dad. And what I'm learning now is that I can address and face down what my shortcomings are and face down the missings of the marks and say, this is who I am, this is what I've done, and this is what works, this is what I'm good at, and this is what I'm not so good at. And I think when we do that, it positions us, if we have a faith component in our story and a reliance on God, to make something good out of our lives, I think that it positions us to be able to uh, grow and develop and learn. And not that we have to start becoming something that we're not as a parent, but we develop the areas that are weak. The weaknesses, I just spent my most, most of my life thinking my weaknesses were my enemy. And the real truth is found in Scripture that says, in my weaknesses, God can show his strength. And he does that by me admitting, I can't do that. I'm not good at this. I, I, I had a conversation with my wife, Rhonda, this week, and I said, I am being a horrible dad right now. I was just messing up stuff and not communicating well, and I was just stressing everybody out. And I just got honest about that. And it sort of diffused it and allowed me to say, God, come in and do something with this weakness. Here's the thing. We are all we're all broken. We were broken sons, and now we're broken dads. And, that's, and God's okay with that. He, he uses our brokenness to, to, to be an example of, to our kids that imperfect people and flawed dads can still have a good relationship with our heavenly dad, and therefore God can do cool things in our families and make our weaknesses turn out into something he can use. Sure, for sure. Yes, uh, I think the takeaway is don't lose hope. I mean, when no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what situation you're facing, no matter what you're going through as a father or as a kid with your father, I mean, it's a a huge two-way mutual thing. It's not 
just about fatherhood. It's about childhood, too. I mean, that both are equally important in raising a child. But um, I guess with all those different types of dads, none of them should ever lose hope because there's always an opportunity to to change and to change the way you're raising your child and to show your child that, hey, I might have been messing up throughout the past 10 years, but this is, I was messing up, and this is why I was messing up, and this is why you shouldn't do what I did. Um, now it's your turn. I know you got way more flaws and way more times <laughs> you've been, you yeah. missed the bullseye, but. Yeah, brother, I got, oh, I got a laundry list. <laughs> I want to talk about, I'll talk about a couple. Um, talk about a couple. I'll tell you a, a couple of little short stories. First one was, um, when Zach was eight, Zach, my oldest son, when he was eight, Will was five. Uh, I had been a believer for just a, a few months, six months, eight months, something like that, maybe close to a year. But we were at the stoplight on the, at the end of Whittlesey Boulevard where it runs into Moon Road because we lived behind Total Systems North Center. So we were, we were on the way home from Blockbuster Video where you used to have to rent VHS tapes no. to watch a movie. No. You had to rewind them before you take them back or you cost you an extra dollar. So we were on the way back from Blockbuster Video. We're at the stoplight. There's a little old lady, presumably a sweet little old lady, in front of us. Zach and Will are in the back seat, eight and five. Light goes from red to green. What are you supposed to do? She didn't go exactly as fast as I thought she probably should have gone, and I lost it and started screaming like a complete idiot. You know, lady, you know, just screaming and screaming, go, go, go. Well... Didn't think too much about it. Finally, she went. We crossed through the light. We went up. We went home. It took probably another 60 seconds or so to get home. And so we had this little bit of an awkward silence. And, the, and what broke that awkward silence was Zach saying, well, that was real Christ-like, Dad. Ouch. Ouch. That was a big ouch moment. Big ouch moment. Big, huge ouch. So anyway, I dropped them off. I go back to work. I didn't think anything about it. I mean, men are just stupid. I mean, I'm the chief stupid one in the front of the line. I didn't think anything about it. I, get, I, I drop them off. I go back to work, and no sooner I walk in the door at work, Susan calls me, and she says, what have you done to your children? And I said, I had still had no idea really what she was talking about. I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, they're both in their rooms crying. They're crying. Daddy. You know, I don't even know what they were saying. They're crying. She said, whatever it is, you need to get your tail back in your car, get home, and you need to make it right. And so I go home. I got in my car. I did what? I'm a good husband. I do what my wife says. I hopped in the truck. I get back home, walk in the house. I'm a grown-up man. I was probably 36, 37, 38, year, 38 years old or so. But here's what I did. I walked in their bedrooms, and I asked for forgiveness. You know, I, And I said, look, that wasn't Christ-like. It was pitiful. But I'm a man, and I'm a flawed man. I was a flawed kid. I was a flawed teenager. I'm a flawed man. And here's what I want y'all to, to know, uh, y'all being Zach and Will when I was talking to them. I said, don't put me on a pedestal, which, which kids tend to do that. I said, don't put me on a pedestal because I'm broken and I'm fallen and I'm sinful, and I'll let you down. This is the first time I've let you down. I'm going to do my very best not to let you down. I'm going to do it again, I'm sure. I'm going to let you down, so don't put me up on this pedestal. So that was, that was a good moment be between the three of us, and I think it was a moment where, on some level at least, they realized that he's not perfect. He, he me, is not perfect. Another time, and I'll be very brief on this, Zach, this was before Will was born. Zach was about 18 months old. Susan, it was probably Father's Day, and probably Susan said, I'm going to go shopping, and you're going to be a father today, and she left to go do whatever and left me and Zach together. He's about 18 months old. I had to hang a ceiling fan in a room that had a, an arched kind of high ceiling. Anybody ever hung a ceiling fan? It was a pain. Your arms are up and I'm trying to get everything all wired up and Zach's 18 months old and he's got his little tool belt on with a little play hammer and screwdriver and so forth and he's following me around the kitchen and I'm hanging this stuff. Had the circuit breakers off. I got it all rewired back up and the little cap back on there. And I got down off the ladder, which probably was on top of the table because it was so high. But anyway, I go into the, into the laundry room. I flip the circuit breakers back on. And I go over to the light switch to flip it on to make sure it all works. Surely it's going to work. I did it right. 
I hit the switch, and nothing happened, and I said, damn it. Didn't think a thing about it. Really didn't think a thing about it. Get back up there, fix it, do whatever I got to do. Get back down, go flip the circuit breaker back on again. Go over, and it works. Awesome. About an hour and a half later, Susan comes home. Hadn't thought two seconds about any of our stuff. We got the ceiling fan hung. Susan walks in the door. Zach runs over to the light switch and says, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. <laughs> Susan just was like. So here's the deal. In the car with the sweet little old lady in, in, the, in front of you, in your house, doing stuff, seemingly mundane stuff. We're watching. There you go. They're watching. Yeah. And listening, absolutely. And here's what that sort of reminded me of about myself. It reminded me of Romans 7, 24, when Paul said, Oh, what a wretched man I am. But for the cross, oh, what a wretched man I am. Doesn't mean that we're an axe murderer. You know, missing the mark, to Will's point on the, uh, on the, on the Greek word uh, for sin, doesn't mean I'm an axe murderer. It doesn't mean I'm a career criminal. It just means I'm a sinner. There's only two kinds of folks on the planet, lost sinners and saved sinners. Thank God I'm a saved sinner, but a sinner nonetheless. And those two little stories sort of give you the image of, of what it is like to be a dad, and, and, but to still be a sinner. Yeah, and I, I think a big takeaway from, from the, the, the fact that children are watching their parents so intensely and they're taking every action that their parents do as what they should do Given, given that, those facts, I mean, we saw and recognized that you were sincerely sorry for yelling at that lady, and we forgave you, and we went on to not yell at old ladies that don't go fast enough. And, I mean, that, as, as simple as that sounds, I mean, it's, it's so true, because if a, father, if a father is allowed to make mistakes, and... He's allowed to screw up because everyone screws up. But if you don't recognize that you have made a mistake and you don't communicate that mistake and the reason why it was a mistake to your children, they're going to go on and either they're going to make the same mistake and have to go through the same heartache and learn it, or they're going to make the mistake and not even realize it's a mistake and just keep acting incorrectly. But if you can communicate to the child that this is why you shouldn't do this, this is why uh, this is bad or why this turned out bad for me or why this resulted in an unexpected outcome, then that kid won't have to go through the heartache of learning the hard way of what he ought and ought not to do. It's just a, it's a generational thing that is passed down from father to son to son to son and just keeps going. And you just, the kids have to see a good at least a passionate attempt at of by the sorry a passionate attempt by the father to try to be like our one shared father and then they can in turn understand and realize what they ought to do and what they ought not to do because of the way that their father's acting if that made sense that was a little long but yeah hey, that's all good I, uh, I wanted to, one of the things that we together as the three of us discussed, um, that's where we're going actually, is that uh, we wanted to address the issue that, that many of our families are dealing with, and that's uh, kind of back to what I was referring to before in the, uh, in the broken home or the, the, the home where there was divorced or, or blended families or, or what have you. Um, we are all aware uh, of the of the difficulty that a that n- not having two parents in the home can uh, the difficult position that it can put children in, and we've all read the stats and we've heard uh, about the trends and how it can make for for kids being raised by a single parent, be it a single mother or a single father who has primary custody, whatever the case may be, and the risks that are involved there. And so to address that issue, 
I wanted, obviously, I would be uh, experiencing that situation. And I wanted to just share with you guys a story that happened to me just a month after uh, I got divorced and moved. I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. My kids moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, so they could be in the school that we wanted them to be in. And so it was a very difficult time, as you can imagine, very dark time for me. I was having a conversation one month after this in, 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 in 2010, in summer of 2010. I was talking with my pastor in Birmingham, and he himself was a product of a broken home. His father, whom he had a great relationship with, uh, however, his dad was not in the home during many of his childhood and teenage years. So he understood the dynamic that we were dealing with, and he said, Richard, I've got one bit of advice to you, and if, it's, if, if you only do one thing, this is the one thing you've got to do in this situation. And I thought he was going to say, go get counseling or get on some medication so you're not depressed and bumming me out all the time. I, don't know, I didn't know what he was going to say. But he said the one thing that you absolutely have to do, and this was his phrase, he was, you have to be intentional about inserting yourself into the lives of your children. And I was like, okay. And he just made it so clear that the most critical thing that I could do was do everything I could to communicate and be an example to the kids so, to my, so that my kids knew that I cared about them, that I thought about them all the time, and that I wanted to be with them any chance I got. And he said, insert yourselves, yourself into the lives of your children. And I thought, well, that's easier said than done. I live in Birmingham, and they live in Lynchburg. And he said, find a way. And I'm like thanks a lot, you know, like, what does that mean? But he said, find a way. And so I began thinking about it and saying, well, I'm just going to do whatever I can do. And thankfully, in our, our age of technology, I, 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 I just started just carpet bombing my kids with texts every day. And I, I would just, almost every day I'd text my kids. And, and I would get a response once a month which I think is probably the, the, appropriate, the correct ratio. But I would use technology. We, I, I tried to do everything I could. I used this bizarre medium of communication. It's called the United States Postal Service. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you actually handwrite something, put it in an envelope, put it in a blue box, and it magically appears in Lynchburg. It's, it's fascinating. And so I was doing everything I could to communicate and to reach out and to insert myself even so to the point where the weird jobs I had, um, I would, when I had a day off and it was a birthday or a special event, I would leave work at night and I'd drive through the night and I'd spend a day in Lynchburg and then I'd drive back through the night and go back to work the next day and, and serve chicken sandwiches as a zombie. It was, it was really cool, but it worked. And it was the only thing I could do. I just ran these cars into the ground and I wore out sets of tires. But I, want, I took his advice and I said, I'm going to let my kids know. Here's the thing. Dads who don't know how the dynamic's going to work when something weird is happening in their family or when a divorce happens, what we normally do, it's natural for us to pull back. And the advice that I received and the advice that I would give to every dad in the room, whether you're a, a divorced dad, a blended family dad, or you're still in the house with your children, whatever scenario you're in and whatever difficulty you might be having with your kids, reach across whatever the distance is and put yourself into their lives. And they might not want you in their lives, but you put yourself in there anyway. And you do whatever you can to communicate that you're, that they're always, you're always thinking about them and you wish that you could be with them. Distance is a funny thing. I live eight and a half hours from my sons. Some of you might live eight and a half feet down the hallway from your kid's bedroom door. But you might sometimes feel just as distant as I, as I do geographically to my kids. And it is our responsibility, dads and moms, to reach across that, that. And God will help us, and he'll give us ideas of how to make that happen. But I'm, that's my encouragement to you. And I know that pastor in, in Birmingham sort of just told you, figure it out, bruh. Oh, you did, really? Just figure out a way to make it happen and make it happen. Yeah. And so that's, for us, dads, and I would say for moms, figure it out. It's one way or the other. Just It's, it's you're a parent. You're a mom, you're a dad, so figure it out. Yeah. And, and, and why do we do that? Why do we insert ourselves in the lives of our kids? Because 
It's a reflect. It's exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us. And there are plenty of times when we don't think we need Him as much as we really do. Or we might actually be doing the Heisman and pushing Him away. But He always pursues us. So let's, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's try. And it's more than just trying to make the best of it. Let's ask God for miracles between us and our kids. Let's ask for miracles. That he would make our stuff not just, our, our family stuff not just okay. He would make it amazing, miraculous. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big point, talking about if the kids don't, what, I mean, what if your kid down the hall from you locks his door and it says go away every time? I mean, that I've, I don't know how, if any of y'all have ever told God that you hate him. I've, I've said it before. I've said, God, I hate you. I hate what is going on in my life. But guess what? He, has, he, he unconditionally still loves me, and he unconditionally still loves all of us, regardless if we hate him, if we believe in him, if we, whatever, however we feel about him, he still loves us. Man, that's and, powerful, yeah. and I appreciate you saying that. And I have friends who right now are estranged from their kids, and they don't know when those, that door will open back up. And I, I had a friend who, who was in this situation many years ago, and he took a journal a notebook, and he wrote constantly letters to his kids. He didn't send most of them because he was pretty sure they'd tear them up and not read them, but he wrote a notebook full of letters to his kids about what he thought and felt, and uh, one day, the door opened, he was able to share that. I'm just saying, that's just an example. I mean, we ask God, he'll show us what to do, and he'll make a miracle happen. Yeah, and he already has shown us what to do by being the the one perfect father that we all share. I mean, yeah, it's it's called the Bible. But I mean, if we could like the the definition what is the definition of fatherhood? Like who invented how to be a father? Um I mean, it had to be God. Why like when someone has a kid, they naturally feel the need to care for that kid and to show that kid unconditional love, just like our God shows us unconditional love. And so, I mean, it, it had to come straight from him. And if he is the perfect father, if we could just be like a tenth of, or a hundredth of the father that he is, then that is more than enough. So, um, I know that it sounds, it sounds simple. You, just, you say just make it happen, insert yourself in the life of your kids, but I mean, some dads, there's, da- there's dads in the church that are overseas right now. Um, there's dads that have certain situations where, I mean, it, it might really seem too late or impossible or how, whatever. But how do, you, how do you, once you get yourself inserted in the life of your kids, how do you make sure that you're serving a, as a positive influence and not being detrimental? Well, I mean, I think one, one of the ways... Is, is, uh, of being a, uh, of making it happen, better way to say it. One of the ways is by keeping your promises. You know, life is going to jump in the way. It just is. You know, you're going to make a promise to your, to your, and I'll, I'll even say this, and I'll make a promise to Susan, or I make a promise to, to one of my kids, and the boss calls and says, I need you at work right now. And you could fill in that blank with, with whatever it is, but life has a way of jumping in the way and wanting to wreck a promise that you made. And somehow it's so messed up that very often the very people that we love the most are the very ones that somehow get pushed away. I don't understand how that works. And you have to be so intentional, I mean so intentional about not doing that. And so part of that is being a promise keeper. And I remember back on the heels of me being stupid with the screaming at the lady in the car, um, probably six or eight months later, I was in my office uh, at the house working on the computer, um, Zach and Will walk in there, and they're again eight and five or eight and a half and five and a half, something like that. And they come in there, and in, in, in the interest of being authentic and, and honest and transparent, I wasn't really listening probably to what they said, but they popped in there and they said, can we build a fort? And I'm sure I just said, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm working on the computer, whatever. And I don't know, over the course of the next hour, and, and my desk in that office to the left was a triple window that looked into the backyard, and as I'm working, I kept seeing just movement back and forth across the window. And after 30, 45 minutes or an hour, I realized the movement was the, was the two of them 
moving wood and moving nails and moving tools and, and moving some plywood and two-by-fours and all that stuff. And, and I'm still so naive and dumb, I still really didn't know what was going on back there. And I, I screamed, Susan, can you come here? And she walked into, into my office, and I said, what are your children doing? And she, and she said, here's what she said. She is always so convicting with stuff. She said, well, I said, what in the world are your children doing? And she said, well, they, they asked you if, if you could build a fort with them. And you said yes, and they believed you. Well, one of the things that being a father is about is being a promise keeper. Because the reality is, is your, your kids, you're going you're gonna to say something, and your kids are going to believe you because you're trustworthy, because you're believe-worthy, because you're faithful, and they trust that what you say is true because of who you are to them. It is an absolutely perfect image of our Heavenly Father. We believe what he says because, because of who he is. Because of who he is. A, a great example is Genesis chapter 15 when Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's 90 years old, can't have, uh, a- Abraham can't have any children. Sarah can't have any children. They're, they're on up there in age. And God takes Abraham outside and he says, look up at the stars and count them if you can because your descendants are going to n- be numbered as those stars and what does the text in the scripture says? It said, God tells Abraham, you're going to have that many descendants. And Abraham believed him. That's all it says. Abraham believed him and the Lord credited it with righteousness. Or credited him with righteousness. Because that word believe carries assurance and steadfastness and, and, and faith and trust because of who the person that said it really is. And so, you know, I, I, all I can really tell you on, the, on this little subject is, guys, and I'm speaking to, to moms as well, be a promise keeper because when you tell your kids that you're going to do something, they're going to believe that you're going to do it. And a pattern of saying you're going to do something and not doing it, it will cause generational problems. Let me just say it that way. So just be a promise keeper. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone... If I'm three years old and my dad promises me every day that he's going to take me to the arcade and I've still never been to the arcade now that I'm 21, uh, if that were the case, I'd probably end up promising my son a lot of things that I would not fulfill. Because and that's because what I would be modeling to him is that promises don't matter. That it's okay, that, that a promise is not a, a promise or a commitment, it's a way to push it to the side for later until next time when I can do another promise and push it a little to the side. It's such a generational thing. I mean, and that's not just promises. That's, that's everything. I mean, the way that a kid looks up to his father when he's two, three, four, five, seven, eight years old, whatever, is just, it's such an admiration. And I know you said, you told us don't put you on a pedestal, but we're born looking at our father on a pedestal. I mean, we can't help it. Why? Well, then that makes it incumbent on us as dads to explain to them it's a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with your children. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, if, if a dad can be just as best of a representation of the fa- our father's love for us in, in relation to uh, his love for his own son, that, I mean, the, who knows what we could accomplish. I mean, it's it's... It's unbelievable. But um, I wanted to read one Bible verse and ask you a question about it, Richard. Uh, it's Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I wanted to ask you, how do you begin to fulfill that purpose? Well, I, you know, I think there could be a lot of different responses to that, but I would like to share one particular bit of advice that I think is a great starting point for us fulfilling our purpose as parents. Um, I would like to push the pause button and say one thing. You know, we've talked a lot about dads here today, and uh, that's certainly appropriate. Um, I would like to say a word to moms, in particular any uh, single moms that might be listening. Um, 
uh, again, uh, single parenting, primary custody, single parenting can be dads or moms, but I would like to specifically say something to the moms who might be listening. Um, there, there's always the fear that, that you may not be enough or that the lack of the presence or, or day-to-day involvement of, of a father or a, a male uh, figure might really be a, a disadvantage to your child. But I wanted to say that uh, it, there's a, a character in the Bible, in the New Testament, and if you're new to Bible study, you might not have heard this guy's name, but his name is Timothy. Anybody remember the guy Timothy in the Bible? Great story how this young man, probably around in his late teens, uh, becomes the protege, the Jedi Padawan, to the coolest guy almost that ever lived named the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was the mentor to this young man named Timothy. And one time in writing a letter to Timothy, Paul said, I love your faith. And he says, your faith, which you learned from your mother and your grandmother. And there are uh, scholars that believe that, that Timothy was raised by a, a single mom because Paul wouldn't didn't say anything about the dad. Now, I don't know if that just means that the dad wasn't there or perhaps it meant that the dad was not a spiritual influence, was not a Christ follower and wasn't able to teach the things of God to the child. And so uh, often a a mom in that situation, either either a single mom or a mom who uh, is the only parent that's uh, trying to train in faith, you can feel like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work and my kid's going to be so uh, disadvantaged Spiritually speaking, but do you realize that one of the most important people in the history of the church, Timothy, got his faith mojo from his mother and his grandmother? That's a big deal. So moms, be encouraged. Do you feel me? Are you good? Can you receive that encouragement? Amen. Good stuff. Now, back to my one bit of advice about a good starting point for trying to model uh, the Heavenly Father to our kids. It's the idea of speaking life into your kids. Now, I speaking words of life into your kids' heart and mind. Um, this happened to me uh, one year after I got divorced. Again, living in Birmingham, my kids are in, in Lynchburg, and I get a call from my youngest son, Bryce. Bryce has been in, it's August of 2011. He has been in school for a little over a week and is uh, being taught in this one class by a substitute teacher because maternity leave for the regular teacher or something like that. So Bryce calls me on a Wednesday night. I'm at Starbucks, which I'm often at Starbucks. I was on my way to church because I think church is better if you have pregame at Starbucks. It's a thing with me. So I'm sitting at Starbucks. I get a call from my son Bryce, and he says, I've got this assignment I need your help with. Uh, I was told by our substitute teacher I need to get three people to write a one-page essay. I said, well, what's the essay? He says, well, you write one for me. I said, what's the essay? And he says, the essay is entitled... Why Bryce Matters to Me. And I said, ooh, I can do this because I could sense a super dad moment coming on, and that's good for me. So I'm like, yeah. So I start thinking, I'm talking it up, and I'm like, cool, man, Wednesday night, thanks for calling me. When's it due? Tomorrow. (laughs) So I've got no time. He doesn't have an email account at the time. All I can do, I'm just, I say, I'm going to write something down, then I'm going to text it to him. So I do that right in Starbucks, and I am now going to read to you. What I wrote to Bryce. Are you guys ready? Well, you're going to hear it whether you want to or not. Here it is. August 2011, Why Bryce Matters to Me by Bryce's Dad. There are a lot of reasons that Bryce matters. Bryce matters to me because he is my son, my third-born child. Bryce is a blessing to many people and a great gift to our family. Bryce has an awesome sense of humor. I like the way Bryce thinks and feels about things. He has a vivid imagination and comes up with a lot of cool ideas. He is a good athlete and a student and works very hard at both of those things. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just thinking of the stuff that I like about my kid, and I just write it down. And I'm flowing, and I'm feeling it. And then all of a sudden, I start feeling, thinking about him, and, and this is where it really hit, this last part. But the most important reason that Bryce matters to me is because he matters so much. <laughs> this gets me every time. Okay, <clears throat> Re- reset. Most important, Bryce reason Bryce matters to me is because he matters so much to God. The Heavenly Father loves Bryce so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to rescue him from sin. And nothing will ever be able to separate Bryce from God's love for him. That is why Bryce matters to me. All right. So 
<sighs> so I send this, I, I write it down, and then I text it to Bryce. And then uh, uh, later that night, I get a text back from Bryce, and it says, and I quote, that is the most awesomest thing I've ever read. <laughs> and I thought, dude, that is so cool. But then I got to thinking about it, and I looked at the stuff I wrote, and I was pretty feeling smug, pretty proud of myself, and then I thought, I couldn't remember if I had ever just straight up told Bryce this stuff before. And then I realized that a throwaway assignment by a substitute teacher is what it took for me to tell my kid how I felt about him. And I decided that day, no longer that I was going to spend my time as a dad and a lot of my energy as a dad telling my kids exactly how I felt about them. And I have been burying them with letters and words. And I have just been pouring, since then, pouring these kind of words into their, to their hearts because I think that's our responsibility. So here's my encouragement to you. Tell them. Tell them how you feel. Tell them you love them. And you're going to say, but I already told them that I... Tell them again. If there is somebody in your life and you feel strongly about it and you got a good thought and a good vibe about them, tell them. Write the words. Say the words. It is our job. And this, this is what I think should happen from this day forward for us as dads, as moms, as just people in, in the relationships in our lives. The people in our lives are going to hear the words from us. They're going to know. Even if we think they don't want to know, we're going to tell them. And you're going to say, well, I don't, I'm not good with words. Steal the words. Steal them from Ed, from Jeff, from me. Steal them from a song. Just tell them, you know, you're amazing just the way you are. And I don't know. Something. Think of it. Think of something. Think of a way to tell the words. Tell them the words and write the words. This is our job. That's my advice. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's, it's a job. And it's, it's not even just... I, it's a two-way thing. Not only are you encouraging your kids and you're, you're showing them that they are wanted and they are loved, you're, you're showing them all that stuff which is so extremely important for them to experience and to feel but you're also giving yourself a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging and a sense of being needed as well because when you show your kid that they're so loved, you get a feeling of, wow, like, I'm needed. Like, I have a purpose, and it's to show this child love. I mean, it's, it's a mutual thing that goes back and forth. And, I mean, I, I don't have any kids. I'm just joking. Nice. But it's kind nice. of, I, I don't know. But I do have a dog. I have a dog. And she's awesome. This is, that's her as a, dressed as a frog for Halloween on the left. And on the right is what my bedroom looked like when I got back from class one day last semester. Which, if you can't really see, it's just completely destroyed. She ripped everything. And, you know, I guess since I don't have a kid, um, I wanted to ask, ask you, Dad, how do you... How do you deal with stuff like that? Well, I, you know, I had a, a wise old dude, not a, really, uh, I want to say, I want to say this has been in the last probably five years ago or so because I spent a lot of years as a parent graceless, receiving grace from the Father but not necessarily being a dispenser of it. And I had a guy, old dude, told me four or five years ago, he said, I want to give you a two words, I want to give you some parenting advice that comes in two words and it's grace wins. Matthew West, a couple years ago, had a song called Grace Wins, and he said it doesn't only win, it wins every time. He said Grace Wins Every Time. And, and so it, it just immediately makes me think about the prodigal son. And, and most of us, most people, whether they're a Christian or not, have heard, they know something about the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to read you, it's in Luke chapter 15, I want to read you part of it, the first part of it, because it's really what's pertinent to our discussion today. And, I, and there is a rest of the story, but I'm not going to, I don't want to read the rest of the story. So let me, let me just start. It starts in verse where I'm going to start. It starts in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me, the, uh, give me my share, uh, the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them, he the father. 
Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a faraway country, and he squandered his property in, the Bible says, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. The son began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out, the son, to one of the citizens of that country. He sent him into, the fee- into his fields to feed pigs. Context. There was no filthier animal in Judaism in the Bible than a pig. So the son is at rock bottom. The son is in a pit because he's feeding pigs. And not only is he feeding pigs, the next verse says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave, but no one gave him any, even that. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat, but I'm sitting here starving to death. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your sons. Just treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, while he was still, he the son, was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him. And what the, what the scripture doesn't say, that when the, when the son was a long way off, the father didn't say, come to me. He went to him. Yeah. And Richard's talked a lot about God pursuing us. And that is what he did. And in this passage, it's exactly, it's exactly what he did. And so... Uh, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy uh, to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly. The father said to the servants, get me the robe, put it on him, give me a ring and put it on his hands, put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us celebrate. Uh, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And I know, again, there's a rest of the story about the older son and all that, but this, this, is, the, this is the pertinent part. And, and I want to tell you how this played out in our lives, the way this played out in our lives. So Will graduated high school in 2014. He gets early acceptance into Georgia. My older son was a student in Georgia, but Will will be quick to tell you that he got early acceptance into Georgia, and he did not get early acceptance into Georgia, but they both ended up at Georgia. And Will reminds Zach of that often. But, um, but in fact... He went ahead and he went off to school in the summer. Uh, right after his senior year of high school, he went off. He went ahead and started in the summer. And, you know, kid goes off to school. There's a certain amount of freedom that, that you have because you're away from your parents for the first time. You're living somewhat uh, on your own. Um, and, and so that, with that freedom, with that freedom, what, what, what happened? And just like most college freshmen, at least many college freshmen, um, he made some mistakes. And there was some missings of the marks that we were talking about the that, that Greek word, there was some missings of the mark, and it was rough. And, and, and I had something, you know, I said something last week that was true, and God takes these events, this is what I said last week, that God takes these events of our lives and he shapes them with it. Uh, he shapes us with those events. And so, uh, and so God, when this was going on, beginning to go on, you know, I think about the fort building event in the backyard, and God taught me about belief and faith and trust, and I think God was fixing to teach me a little bit about unconditional love and grace. And so anyway, he's going through this pain in Athens, three and a half, three hours away. It's from about August till, beginning of August till about the end of September, Susan and I made probably eight or nine middle-of-the-night road trips to Athens. And I'm talking about midnight. Boom, hop in the car, drive three hours to Athens. And my, it, it just kept, my mind kept going as those things were happening and, 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 and the pain and the suffering and the disappointments. And we'd be in the car and I'd be thinking about the prodigal son and especially, uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And it would be 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're on 316 northeast of Atlanta heading towards Athens. And, and, and very few cars on the road, and, and I'm staring through the windshield, and in my mind's eye, I can see him just hurting. And I just wanted to do what the father did in the prodigal son. I just wanted to go, <clears throat> just go run and just grab him. 
And I remember telling him so many times that there's nothing, because this, this is what the Father tells us. There is nothing, nothing that you can do to affect the love that the Heavenly Father has for you. Nothing. You can't earn it and get it, and you can't do something and lose it. There's nothing that will affect. And I remember telling him so many times, you can't do, there's going to be consequences because there's earthly consequences to our actions. But nothing you can do can affect the love that me and your mom have for us, I have for you. So at the end of September, you know, this is two months, two or three months of, of, of issues and, and, and pain. At the end of September, he withdrew from school for the rest of that semester and pretty downcast. I mean, it was tough times. Pretty downcast. There was it was pretty disappointing uh, a time in our in our life. But all the while, Susan and I kept offering grace and encouragement and unconditional love. Tough times, grace and unconditional love, and encouragement. And over the course of some number of months, it got a little better, a little better, a little better. All of a sudden, uh, he was out of his room and on the couch. And then all of a sudden, he was off the couch and in the backyard. She called me at work and said, Will's in the backyard playing with a dog in the sun. There's something about the sun. There's something about light versus darkness. Um, there's something about getting out of the darkness and getting into the light. And there's something about that sun, S-U-N-N-S-O-N. There's just something about him. And so he's on the road back. Or he, he's on the way back, on the right road back. He's making a comeback. And so, so here's, here's where we are today. You know, if, if number one, if we make every attempt to model our fatherhood after our heavenly father, grace wins. Every single time, yeah. grace wins. If we can offer our kids the grace and mercy and, and love that our heavenly father offers us, the odds go dramatically up that it, all, that it all works. And I think it works because we're reflecting what we're getting. We're reflecting what we're getting. And so today, I got a son with a GPA at Georgia of about 3'7". Um, who is much more spiritually, emotionally, and mentally mature, dramatically more than three years ago. In the fall, we'll be at Georgetown University uh, in Washington, D.C., doing an internship on Capitol Hill um, and heading to law school. And, 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 and I think, oh my, I, I just, in my mind's eye, I look back three years and I think, God is so good. You know, and you, you, you do understand <clears throat> that the parable of the prodigal son is not about the son. Yeah. It's not about the brother. It's about the father. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's about the father's pursuit of us because he relentlessly pursues us. And so I'd ask, you know, I want to ask Will, what do you think would have happened if our reaction, Susan, if our reaction to the, to the problems your freshman year had been like we, when I screamed at the little old lady at the stoplight. Um, you know, we all, we all are born with a desire to feel grace and love. There, there's no question about that. If anyone says that they don't want to be loved and they don't want to experience grace, then they are just lying because we have holes in our hearts that are meant to be filled with those two things and if you don't get those two things and they're not they're not filling those holes those holes have to get filled with something else and there's so many things you can fill them with but the only you think you can fill them with well you can fill them with whatever you want but it's probably it's going to do damage i mean you could fill it i mean some people might be alcohol might be drugs sex rock and roll whatever i mean but you're going to temporarily try to fill those holes. You're going to have to keep filling them up because they're not going to stay. But you're going to fill them up with some false sense of love or some false sense of grace or just something that seems to satisfy those desires, at least for now. And, I mean, that's a long, dark road that leads to nowhere. And, I mean, I, I would have, I don't know how long, I could have kept those holes filled with the synthetic grace and love, but, I mean, they it's just a temporary fix, and sure. there's, there's no light sure. at the end of that road. 
You know, here's what I, if I can offer you one, dads, moms, if I can offer you one piece of advice in that little conversation, it would come in the, in the form of those two words that old dude told me, and that was that grace wins. And let that, and, and let that play out in actions between you and your children. And I know we're wrapping this up, and I know you have a, a prayer that you would like to pray, and so um, um, let's, we can go ahead and do that. Yeah. Uh, this is a prayer. Um, I was actually, for a while, I was forced to read it out loud. Uh, in a, sitting around in a circle, you know, with a bunch of people that are kind of going, were going through the same stuff that I was going through. And I was, I mean, I was, for, I never said it with any emotion. I never said this prayer really, like, meaningfully. But I read it out loud and didn't think about it again and probably went back and read it every day over and over for a while because I had to. And I really didn't understand what it meant until recently. So I'd, I'd like for you all to bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and su- supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Father, we thank you for today and thank you that we have heard the stories and been reminded about your grace and your unconditional love for us. Lord, please give us the courage to open our hearts more to that love that you have and that you're trying to pour into us. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I ask you, and I ask you to consider, based on what we've heard today, this amazing story, And the reminder of God's love, I ask you to consider taking a step towards the Heavenly Father today. On this Father's Day 2017, perhaps you've felt like it's been a long time and like you've been distant from God and far away from Him. But maybe today is your day to come back home to the Heavenly Father. We're going to close in prayer in a moment. But before we do, if you want to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. And if in your heart you feel God is calling you to come back home to him and to your faith, just slip your hand up. I want to, I want to pray for you and I will apply. You just stick your hand up. You're saying, I want this prayer to apply to me. I've been distant from the father and I'm ready to come home today. Just raise your hand anywhere in the room. Perhaps today, as based on what we've heard, you would feel like today's your day to start your relationship with God, to kickstart your faith journey, and to ask Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life. What better day to do it than right now? If that's on your heart, and you just want to say, Richard, pray for me. Pray for me that Jesus would become the leader and forgiver and that I would open my heart to him in a way I haven't before. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Nobody's going to, else is going to be see, but just raise your hand and I will pray for you. Raise your hand and I will pray that the Lord meets you on this road today. Thank you. Lord, our hearts are open to you. And our need is to draw closer to you. Give us the courage to find you. Give us the courage to make a step towards you. Lord, run to us and welcome us back into your family. Welcome us back home. Give us courage to start our faith journey and to live our lives with your son Jesus as the leader and the forgiver. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Our band is going to uh, lead us in one more song, and let's just enjoy this moment of worship.
and then we'll be dismissed. Chet.